0: Coming to you from the Sunshine State, this is Create Brand Envy, a podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs and business owners discussing businesses, marketing, leadership, and best practices in this ever-changing business landscape. Every week, we'll introduce you to a different business leader that has taken their company to new heights despite the odds. Learn, engage, and thrive. This is Create Brand Envy, And now your host, president and CEO of Brand Envy, Nicole Alisea.
1: The very first time that I met Dr. Carlos Garcia was when I was a student at the Jim Warren Institute for Entrepreneurship, taught by Dr. Shane Smith. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Carlos Garcia was a guest speaker that came in. And I'm sitting in this round table full of, I mean, what, like 20, 30 entrepreneurs and business owners. And we were just so enthralled by your talk. And um, I'm, I I am just so honored to have you on the show. Thank Thank you so much for coming and being here.
2: It's an absolute honor to be here with you today.
1: And then after I had already booked you, I'm folding laundry and I'm watching TV (laughs) and I see you on TV talking to, (laughs) um, what's her name? Um, with the beautiful hair, I forget her name. Gail, 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 yes, Gail Goyardo. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I've had a great guest. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's like the real deal. um no, but you um you do a lot of public service going around talking and giving advice yeah. and really helping the community. I'm going to uh just kind of set up the top topic by um doing your biography, which uh, fingers, which if you don't know who Fingers is, you got to listen to episode twenty. <laughs> but Fingers uh, told me that I sound a little reedy when I do this, okay. so I'm still honing my my yeah. my skills to not sound reedy. But um, Dr. Carlos Garcia is the owner and lead therapist at Tampa Counseling and Wellness, which I didn't realize is right just down, down the, street. the street. Yeah, five minutes away. <laughs> I, I when I first you know saw it, I was like, God, it just sounds familiar. <laughs> and then when I was driving, I'm like, Is that it? There oh it my is. God, I've driven past this yeah. every day. I had no idea that that was yeah. your, your practice. He's a licensed clinical psychologist, coach, and speaker, providing counseling and coaching to individuals looking to positively transform their lives. His areas of expertise include anxiety, depression, grief, and post-traumatic stress, as well as issues around faith and spirituality. He also works with individuals who struggle with motivation and self-confidence, which what business owner doesn't. Yeah, Yeah. Um, Dr. Garcia received his doctoral degree in clinical psychology from Nova Southeastern University and completed his residency at Rutgers. Did I say that wrong? Rutgers, Rutgers yes. University. New Jersey. He also served in the armed forces as a United States Marine. Thank mm-hmm. you for your service. Thank you. And as a firefighter and paramedic prior to receiving his doctorate degree. Mm-hmm. So you know stress.
2: I know stress well. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh, Because of his experience, he specializes in working with veterans, police officers, firefighters, and other first responders. And as a business owner and entrepreneur himself, he also works with executives and business owners that are looking to take their performance and leadership to the next level. He helps clients get unchained from the past, overcome mental blocks, and find the confidence they need to live more fulfilling successful and empowered lives and who doesn't want to do that (laughs) (laughs) so that's a you know a big promise that you're making yeah yeah i
2: cringe when i hear that by the way
1: (laughs) right it's no pressure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) no pressure um but you and i so when i I approached you about um doing a show together because my this podcast focuses on that business owner entrepreneur listener we sat down and we started brainstorming what would be good topics um And I, am the kind of person that likes to do things really well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of like, um, I use my intuition a lot. So long story short, we, um, decided that we were going to take this opportunity and this time to talk about the five major psychological shifts Mm -hmm. that a person has to make to go from being an executive turned, you know, business owner. There's a lot of and I used to be when I used to be employed mm-hmm. at clear channel as a sales rep. And I decided I'm, I'm going to go off on my own. I'm going to believe in myself and take a leap of faith. And then going from that employee mindset to turning over and becoming a, a business owner, business leader uh, getting your business going, scaling, hiring people, doing all those things yeah. requires a lot of personal growth and development And nobody's going to teach you. I remember at Clear Channel, they would like be like, oh, mandatory training at, you know, Wednesday at two, you have to come and we're going to teach you. Like you have to be Mm self-directed and do it yourself. And so um, I I would love to grace our listeners with your knowledge and insight on, you know, the five top things that need to change in order for you to be able to become a successful and grow into a successful entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, so, so one of the factors I think we should speak about is broadening your vision, right? And that's this idea of going um, from working in your business – to working on your business. And what does that mean? So, uh, you know, I'll I'll use myself as an example. Um, I started my practice and I am the lead therapist. So I was the one providing the service. I was also the one doing the marketing. I was also the one doing the financing. And so for a lot of solopreneurs or early entrepreneurs, that's the space that they find themselves in. Having to really put their attention and energy on so many of the facets of the business while also providing that sort of primary service that brings in the income. And so for a lot of entrepreneurs, it that that can be a real challenge, right? Because there um, is sometimes this, you know, this is what I've done well, right? And this is the thing that I know I do well. And this is the thing that's bringing in the money, so having even the even the the sort of mental shift that needs to occur can be really challenging. And so I'm I'm, I'm sure that a lot of um, again solopreneurs entrepreneurs out there know what this experience has been like. If you want to scale a business, you need to be able to understand what's happening from the ten thousand foot view. You need to be able to um, hold the vision right and the mission of that organization so that you can dictate where it's headed, where it's going, and being able to also identify what are those things that are getting in the way of our organization getting there. Um, And again, at the beginning, it's really hard to balance doing that while also attending to all of these other places that need your energy. Um, But I think the the, the the entrepreneurs that are able to do that really well are able to scale their business at a much quicker rate um, and in a more successful manner um, when they're able to balance that that sort of energy or that attention.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure you've heard them all, but there's just a million excuses um, that people put up. And I've, I've heard them from peers. I've heard them from my own brain. Um, I can't afford to hire help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody does is going to do this as well as I do. Sure. The client hired me. Yeah. The client's not going to like that I'm pawning off the work to somebody else. Um, I don't have time to train somebody. I mean, there's just all of these excuses. And that is, that's a mountain that Mm -hmm. they need to climb over and kind of get over. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: I've always said that it's a little bit narcissistic for you to think that nobody can do it better than you. (laughs) Like you may be very good at that, but also, In order for you to have a true business, whatever you do has to be teachable in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing, too, with a lot of entrepreneurs that I've worked with is um, there's a real challenge when it comes to giving over control. Right. And so, yeah, sometimes it's the ego, but sometimes it's the inability to let go of control right? That's where we experience the most challenges around delegating. Sometimes it's not that we can't find the right people. We can find amazing people. We just can't let go of that control. And I get it, you know, for a, a, a lot of folks, when we sort of dig into where that comes from for, for them, um, you know, they may have some issues with trust. They may have some issues with, um, you, you know, one of the things I, I'll, I'll sort of sort of share today is, Um, As a psychologist, part of what allows me to do this work with a lot of my clients is having a deeper understanding of where our narratives come from, our stories, the way we make choices. Um, All of that sort of has a foundation in our early development, in our past life experiences. So. You know, if we grew up in a really chaotic home, for example, right, maybe parents that weren't around very often, we really crave certainty to a great degree. And as human beings, we crave certainty. Look what happened a couple of years ago when we started experiencing the pandemic, right? We all headed to the stores to buy toilet paper. No one told us to. I mean, it, it was just this random. And, and that's evidence for how human beings respond when they're feeling out of control and things aren't certain. Mm-hmm. So letting go of control is hard. It's hard for a lot of us naturally, but we need to look at what are those places? What are the what are the reasons that I'm having such a hard time letting go of this? And I get it. You know, it's your baby. You're right. Um, the the customer is expecting. All those things that you said can make really a, a mountain out of a molehill. I think we need to learn at some point to let go. Um, Again, using my experience, um, I'm at a place where I love doing therapy. So in order for me to focus on the business, I'm having to let go of that, being in the business. And what I decided was I don't want to do that or I'm not prepared to do that at this time. Because what I do and providing that service, doing the therapy is such a deep passion of mine that I ended up sort of reconfiguring how I wanted my business to go where a couple of years ago, I thought, you know, by now, I'd have three or four different practices. I said, No, I don't think I want to invest my time there. And so I think what's one of the things that's important for the audience to hear is that have some flexibility in your plan, you might get to a point where like, you might be the one that wants to bake the cakes, you might want to be the one that provides the coaching.
1: And so if that's, that's, if that's real, that's okay, too. In the episode 19, uh, where we interviewed the uh, president of the Glazer Children's Museum, yeah. she, that was the whole topic of conversation that they would have these strategic plans that were so rigid and so well-defined, right? They were so smart. They were so... Me- Specific, yeah. measurable, yeah. Yeah. all the yeah. things we were taught to do right. that they were actually rigid. And then when something like the pandemic came along yeah. and knocked everything over, everybody was kind of like, you know, what, what, do, what, do we do? what do we do? And so their new strategic plan is a lot more broader and more forgiving in terms yeah. of like, all right, well, you know, well, that's not a good path to go down. Let's just, you know, turn around and try a different path and it's fine, just more relaxed. Right,
2: right. And there's a really great book out there, um, The E-Myth. Yes. Um, which, you know, for, for folks who haven't read it, um, give some really great tips and strategies on how to navigate this space between, again, being you know the the service provider and the owner of the business at mm-hmm. the same time.
1: Yeah. yeah, and that's just that's just a admittedly no. There's no question. It is a very hard jump to make, but yeah. it is a necessary one if you want to have a successful company totally. that scales beyond just you giving yourself a job, which is fine too, if that's what you want.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so just being real and honest with yourself about, you know, what is it that you want out of this, um, out of your trajectory as an entrepreneur. Right. Right. And, and again, allowing, you know, one of the biggest things for me that I think gets in so many people's way when they're achieving any goals is how rigid we are in our mindset and how critical we can be of ourselves, right? Like, like we're not allowed to make mistakes somehow. We're not allowed to, you know, experience failures, which is such a natural human part of our lives. And so I think just giving us permission to, yes, this is going to be a challenging part and there's going to be moments where I'm frustrated and overwhelmed and guess what? Welcome to the show, right? That's what it's all about. And those that navigate that the best will, you know, uh, uh live a life that, that, um, feels joyful and, and and we can do work that feels fulfilling.
1: Absolutely. And I actually, yesterday I was, um, scrolling the internet, the internet saying, hang on, I have a, I I'm a new iPhone user, <laughs> so I'm still using, I'm still learning how to make the transition. Yeah. This quote is by Stephen Pressfield. He's a writer yeah, and it says, The amateur believes he must first overcome his fear, then he can do his work. The professional knows that fear can never be overcome. He knows there is no such thing as a fearless warrior or a dread-free artist.
2: Totally. I love that. When I figured out that fear and failure are a part of the game, it made everything just more digestible. Because it's it just make it a part of your plan. You're going to yeah. experience it at some point. How do you recover from it?
1: Right. right. How do you how do you be resilient in the face of it? Because exactly. it's going to come at you like exactly. that. The other thing is, and this is so difficult, learning to lead yeah. people skills. Yeah.
2: yeah. So one of the other factors that I think can be really challenging in this space is learning to lead. Right. Um, I've seen so many people who set out to start a business um amazing ideas, amazing product, but have uh, really lacked the skills needed to manage relationships. Whether that's leading people or having business partners or right you, you know any version of that. One of the you know one of the things I truly think at the end of the day Any business you run, I don't care how big the organization is, it's about people. It's about your ability to manage relationships and people. Because as long as they're humans within your business, you have to know how to lead people. And leading people means you need to know how to lead yourself first. Right. And so this is a big conversation where emotional intelligence comes into play. Right. How self-aware are you? How how what is your understanding of what drives people's behaviors and ways of thinking? And if we're completely aloof to all of that, it's going to be a real grind. It's going to be a real uphill battle Um, because we're 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 going to run into people who. Don't always align with our values. We're going to have people, again, whether they're our employees or our business partners, um, that that may not always view things in the same way that we do. And we're going to have to be able to come down and sit down and have conversations. Um, and if you're that person that's always like, it's my way or the highway, then you're going to be you might find yourself in a situation where there's a lot of really great people that are trying to align with you that will not, or that will leave your company because of the way that you're approaching how you manage people.
1: And I say this to my team a lot. Um, if you, it's a, one of my favorite stories or quotes or whatever uh, I have, a, I'm like, I sound like my daughter. Oh, that's my favorite song. And like every song's your favorite song. Every quote's my favorite yeah. quote. Um, uh, if you, if you take a horse, yeah. And you send him up a tree to go get you some coconuts, mm-hmm. he's gonna spend the rest of his life thinking that he's absolutely worthless Love when it. he's a freaking horse. Yeah. yeah. He's a totally. freaking horse. Totally. So I think that as a leader, like you like you shared in your social media video recently, like yeah. we can't um, you know, we hire, we we recruit these people to fill these roles that we have, yeah, but we have to have some grace and some flexibility to and and take the time to see them as a person. Right and figure out what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And um, one thing I'm currently learning with some of my team members is how they like to work and how they like to receive Mm -hmm. information. I have, we have a new hire that is like, you need to give her a list. She's very pointed with her work. A, B, C, one, two, three. Mm -hmm. If I give her this broad directive and tell her to run with it, she's standing there going, I, 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 Uh, uh. And she's not incompetent. She does have a lot of value to bring to the table. I just need to rethink and retool how I'm giving her Mm. directives so that she can go, oh, and then click into gear and go. And so as a leader, you have to have that that flexibility of mind, like you said, that awareness, that. It's not your way or the highway. You're working with people and managing relationships.
2: Yeah. And and I think, you know, when we can understand, and you know, this obviously comes from the psychologist part of me, every single one of us, um, grew up in a different home with different messaging in a different culture, different ethnic backgrounds, different parts of the country, different parts of the world. We have different brains that process information differently, different attitudes, opinions, beliefs. And so you know, my God, that we can get any two people to sit in a room in a room and agree about one thing is like marvelous to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so, just having that awareness that we're all built differently allows us to kind of sit back and have a little bit more patience, compassion, um, and awareness. Again, an awareness that um, people aren't going to always see things the way that you do. And I, I, you know, I can share again a personal experience. When I first started my practice, the goal was to hire. And bring on board other therapists that were, um, right, as interested as me to be out in the community, to be online, to be on social media, right, to be building their brand. And my expectation was that they would do as much networking as I did and that they wanted to, right, like have as much of a vested interest as I did in my business. And what I learned quickly is like, no, some of them just really want to do therapy well. Mm -hmm. And if you step out of your house every day with the expectations that others be the way you need them to be, you're gonna experience a lot of inner tension as you navigate this life, right? Like, um, and and so again, just kind of opening up and allowing people to be who they are, um, but also, you know, opening up, because one of the things that happened for me in my practice is when I stopped expecting them to sort of show up how I needed them to show up, it allowed them the space to be brilliant in the way they needed to be, to bring creativity to the table, ideas that I could have never thought of that we were able to implement into the practice. And so you, you right, when you when you don't put people into this kind of rigid framework, you give them space to be who they really are. And that can be really, really amazing for your business.
1: This ties into the the next pointer, which is um, to set your ego aside. Oh. And that story reminds me yeah. that you have to be humble. You have to be very, very humble. And it's a very – what makes it difficult is that it's a very fine line to walk because you do have to be humble, but you also still need to be a leader. Yes. And can you describe what you – how you would define what a leader is?
2: Yeah, the way I I would describe a leader – and you know, one of the things that I learned having been in the military and then in the fire department as sort of paramilitary organizations, um, I learned a lot about really great leadership. And I learned even more about really crappy leadership. And, um, you know, to me, leadership is about self-awareness first. If you don't understand who you are, what your beliefs are, where they come from, if you are incapable of managing your own sort of emotional bandwidth and emotional range, if you're incapable of putting, you know, um, the, the the sort of egocentric views aside in order to step into a room with people, whether that's the boardroom or, or with your employees, um, Again, it's going to be a really difficult path because, um, you know, it's 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 easy to believe that you know the way, right? That 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 it's only your way, and it, it, you're right. It, it's such a such a balance. Um, this is a challenging one because there's there's a lot of subtleties to this, right? When I when I sit in the room, I'll, here here's a perfect example. I had a CEO that came to see me. Um, a couple months back. And he had uh, been the CEO of some, you know, pretty big companies. Within the first hour of his first visit with me, I could see all of the gaps, all of the places in which he was missing what was, what he needed to change change in his own life. He couldn't hear it. Too much of his ego was in the room. So he came and saw me for a couple of sessions and then Sort of disappeared. I knew that his ego wasn't going to be able to handle what I had to give. He wasn't open. He wasn't open to the feedback. Every time I tried to offer something, it was like, well, no, what about this? Right. And it was just like there wasn't even a space mm-hmm. to hear something different. And right. I think when we get too caught up in that place, that's when we lose our ability to be good leaders, right? When we lose our ability to listen, when we lose our ability to self reflect, when we lose our ability to see that maybe other people have a better way of doing it, that's when we start to get stuck. So I think good leaders are, are able to self-reflect first and foremost.
1: And Simon Sinek writes a lot about leadership. Yeah. Um, he, he used uh, a military analogy. I can't remember which book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, doctor and I were talking before the recording started, I, and I'm quoting all these books. And I'm like, I have no idea what book it came from. <laughs> But, um, so Simon Sinek talked about the military and he said, he said something about that, uh, there was some kind of a survey or of a group and they were like, um, we would lay our, our lives down for our, our leader Mm -hmm. because we feel like he would do it for us. Sure. Um, and, and so it was kind of like this sensation of like, we're all in this together. Yeah. You know, we're a team. We're not, um, You know, no one's going to be left behind. We're all going to bat for each other. Yeah,
2: I can give you an example of when I worked in the fire department. Um, There was a a time early on in my career where I worked for this lieutenant. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that everybody loved about him was he had um, essentially bypassed on getting higher rank, like going up to captain, because he wanted to be at the firehouse with his people. He wanted to to fight the fires. He wanted to like be on the scene, right? And everyone respected and admired him for that, right? Because he, he wanted to be with us. So you knew this was somebody that was gonna have your back ASAP. Where there was other, you know, sort of officers that kind of just, did what they did in order to get the next rank, but right. you didn't trust them. And right. and and in things like firefighting or, you know, police work or in the military where like your life is in somebody else's hands, that's not a place where trust, I mean, trust is a huge thing there.
1: But even, even in, in the civilian world, so to speak, your, your livelihood is yeah. depending on,
0: you know, that, is. that
1: job. Absolutely. So, I mean, it is your life, yeah. <laughs> your, you know, your income is. Yeah. A huge part. Yeah. And yeah, and trust, trust yeah. is huge. You need yeah. to, as a leader, you need to be able to earn your people's trust. Sure. And that goes back to relationship skills, but also being, you just have to be a good person, period.
2: Yeah. I, and, I, and like I that example that.
1: you're saying of the, the guy, it sounds like, sounds like he was.
2: A... Yeah. Cause he led by example, right? He, he, he showed in the way he did his work that he was someone to be trusted, that he was someone that you wanted to follow right? Not, not just with words.
1: You also talked about um, letting go of fear and limiting beliefs. Mm. I I know that this is um, common across the board. We all from, you know, I think from just the most popular, most successful person all the way down to somebody that's homeless. Not that that, you know, if that's their choice, it's, but anyways, um, you know, we all have like that fear and concern and fear of failure Um, what are some best practices that you've shared with your, do you call them patients or clients, clients, your clients, clients, um, uh, to, to overcome that fear and fear of failure? Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, fear and failure can be such an impediment to owning a business, running a business, but to so many of the things in our lives. And, um, one of the things that I often talk about is understanding, our relationship with those two particular things, right? So let's start off with fear. Um, now, fear is a common human experience. It's a common human response when we feel that um, a situation or scenario may um, right, compromise us in some way or that we may not have the ability to overcome whatever the challenge is. So we might experience fear, worry, concern. Um, but The problem with fear is the relationship that we have with it, the attitude that we have come to um, have with it. So here's an example. Um, For anybody that's a parent or that has ever witnessed a a young child, a baby maybe learning how to walk, um, that baby will fall down a thousand times when they're learning how to walk, but they will get up a thousand and one, right? They don't go over to the corner and be like, oh, I'm never going to figure this out. This is horrible right they don't get um they they don't experience fear like I, I have a 16 month old this kid will jump off the couch if you allow him to like we come into the world with this courage and bravery
1: i i know i i do have to i know some kids that are like born they seem like they're born terrified they're like everything like yeah uh, you know yeah. petrifies them Well, my daughter is fearless too. You should see her at the trampoline park jumping into the foam. She's like doing backflips and I'm, I'm like standing there going, I'm like, I do not want to go to the hospital.
2: Well, I mean, we can get into the particulars because we can get into attachment and, and, you know, the, how fear develops in children can happen within the first couple of weeks and months. So, so that's, you know, we can get into that, but. What I will say is that most children that come into the world come into the world, you know, pretty pretty fearless and bold or courageous, right? Mm-hmm. They, they want to explore their world. There's there's yes. this thing in their DNA that wants to see them grow, learn, expand. But somewhere along the way, we develop this feeling of shame around fear. We develop, so so I think about like someone like my mother, okay. right? Who was in a very loving way trying to protect me. But she was sort of anxious. So what that looked like was like, get down from there. You're gonna hurt yourself. Don't touch that, right? Everything was like this negative sort of message about what's gonna happen to you if you fall. Or, you know, I, I was just sort of at home during the holidays and saw her doing this with my son. Like, if you get up there, you're gonna fall. If you do that, it's gonna hurt. If it, So if that's the programming that we've been hearing, this idea of like, the other shoe's gonna drop, bad things are going to happen, we get programmed that way. And we start to have this really interesting relationship with fear where we don't want to take risk. We become really risk averse because our minds are already creating out in the future problems, concerns, right? That's part of what happens with anxiety. The better thing to do is to understand that fear is just a feeling, that it also can be overcome. And when you realize that fear is just a feeling and you don't have to have the shame around it, then you start to embrace fear. You start to say like, oh, when I experience fear, this is just a beautiful cue that's showing me where I have work to do. This is a beautiful emotion feeling cue that's telling me that I need to turn towards this thing and see what is the mindset that I'm bringing to it. What is the story that I carry around my fear? Mm -hmm. And for most of us, yeah, we've had fearful experiences and that wires the brain for us to avoid fear in the future. And so, you know, it can compromise us. But the same thing with failure, right? If you ask most people what they tell themselves when they experience a failure, you will hear this just – like one negative judgment after another. Like, I'm no good, I'm worthless, here I go again, I'll never get it. Just this like string of, of belief systems that they have um, gotten so indoctrinated to experience. Now, again, here we go back to childhood, right? If you think of when, a, when we first come into the world, we are graced with this thing called uh, unconditional love, right? We don't have to do anything to earn the love right? It's just sort of given to us. But in our parents' attempts to um, socialize us, right, to to raise us, we started to get a framework really early on about how to be in the world. If you did everything mom and dad wanted you to, you got praise. You got reinforcement. Good boy, good girl. you, You know, you got ice cream for getting the good grades. You got a reinforcement. But if you didn't follow their particular framework, you also got reinforcement, You got maybe a punishment, maybe the withdrawal of love, maybe, you know, a spanking, maybe right another message about how you needed to be. And this happens in school and this happens in society. And so what has happened for most of us, we have this deeply shameful relationship with failure. And when we fail, we get knocked down and we stay down because of the narratives that we're playing out in our minds about who we are. We've learned to attach our sense of value and worth to the failure. Now, I'll ask you, have you ever failed at anything?
1: Okay, uh, all, all the all time.
2: Kinds of, all all kinds, kinds of times. Of all, you know, I, I had, a, I had a, you know, several just on the way here today, right? But every room that I've ever spoken in, I've asked that question. And obviously, everyone always raises their hand because the common human experience is that we're going to experience failure. But when you ask them what their narrative is around the failure, it's like, oh, well, I'm no good and, you know, all of these different things. And so um, we need to learn how to shift our relationship with failure. It's a common human experience and we don't have to attach our worth to those times that we fail. It's simply just another cue from the universe telling us where we need to change something about ourselves, either a behavior or a mindset or whatever it is. So fear and failure, they're they are all just programmed in the mind. And when we start to have a different relationship with them, it sets us so free to do amazing things in the world.
1: And our our brains are very plastic. There. We are very capable of retraining our brain and retraining the the train of thoughts right. that come after. So um, I like one of the most empowering things that I'd love to share that helps me a lot yeah. and anybody that knows me is, you know, is giggling cuz I this is like I do this all the time admittedly. You know, things happen for me, not yes. to me. That's beautiful. So whenever anything happens, and I know it's a coping mechanism. I know it's probably gobbledygook half of the time, but the gobbledygook matters. It's how I'm reframing and handling it because it's not what happens to you. It's how you react, respond, internalize, and deal with it.
2: Yeah.
1: That's what matters.
2: Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Yeah. I, I, you know, I I think that my biggest sort of – advice for anyone is, and I, you know, I get it. I'm a therapist, right? I I could just tell everybody go go to therapy, but do whatever you need to do, whether it's reading books or audio books, finding a coach, finding a pastor, finding a counselor, finding a therapist, a neutral party where you can sit and go through the things that challenge you so that this person that's in this, this neutral party can hear the patterns of your thinking the patterns of your behavior, and then reflect back to you what they see. Yeah. That's one of the ways to get rid of the ego, right? Because it is in those places that we can more deeply understand how we got wired that way. Mm-hmm. You know, again, from this so- sort of psychology background, I truly believe that so much of the environments that we grow up in mold the attitudes and the beliefs that we have.
1: 100%. Right?
2: Um so can I share a quick story that that sort of highlights yes. this for people, right? Yes, I would love that. So here's a child that's going out to eat with their parents and they go out to eat every Friday, okay? And this child's about seven or eight years old. And on this particular Friday, the parents say, we're going to let you choose what you want to eat. So the kid gets super excited and is like, wow, okay, my parents aren't going to make decisions for me. And so child gets to the restaurant, opens the menu, sees this big, delicious, cheesy pizza and says, I want the pizza. And then mom in her, you know, loving motherly ways, just, you know, hey, honey, are you sure? Why don't you get the burger? That's what you normally get. So the child stops and thinks about it for a second. Oh, yeah, that's kind of true. But sticks to their decision. No, the pizza. And then, you know, some moms can, you know, really want to be, you know, really reassuring. So, honey, are you sure? What if you don't like the pizza? The burger's is a safe bet. So the child stops and thinks about it one more time. But they stick to their guns. The pizza. And then the other parent chimes in, we're not getting the pizzas too big, you're not going to eat it all. It's going to be a waste of money. So the child says, okay, I'll get the burger. Now, in the grand scheme of things, nobody would see that as some big momentous thing. But my question to you is, in that moment, what do you think that child believes about their ability to make decisions?
1: They. They question their ability to yeah. make decisions.
2: They, they might, maybe might maybe I don't make good decisions. Maybe I need to check with other people. Now, you might say to me, okay, a seven or eight-year-old isn't going to have that rational adult thought, but I can tell you that they experience something in that moment. The other thing I can tell you is that parents are pretty consistent in the way that they parent over time. So that child heard a very similar message, probably around academics, sports, whatever, extracurriculars, how they dress, a lot of different things. Do you imagine over time as this child is growing up, they start to have a little bit of self-doubt. They start to experience a little bit of difficulty when making their own choices, Mm -hmm. trusting their intuition, trusting their feelings.
1: So I hear the story and my brain is like stuck in, well, it's the parents. The parents did not stick to their word. They said, we will let you pick whatever you want. Right. So she's growing up with parents that... That are not, uh, you know, say one thing, but then do something totally, else. Totally.
2: But most of us and grew she up She needs with to grow up
1: and way. do therapy to learn how to assert <laughs> exactly. herself. Exactly. And say, excuse me, you said that I could pick whatever I wanted. So exactly. Back off. <laughs> exactly. But what
2: we're understanding here is that most of us grew up with parents that knew better, right? Mm-hmm. Or supposedly knew better. Because most of us were parented by parents that parented a little bit better, hopefully, than they got parented. Yeah. But- What we understand about that child is you're absolutely right. As they start to grow up, they develop a lot of self-doubt. So taking risks become a lot harder. This is the person that might show up in my office in their 20s and 30s with a lot of anxiety because they don't know how to make decisions and can't understand why. So a lot of the work I do is like, let's understand the kind of environments that you grew up in, not to point fingers, not to blame, Yeah. right? Like I grew up in a home with a very perfectionistic father. He was very authoritarian. So if you did something wrong, there was a very clear message about how you were clumsy or were doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. My mother just happened to be very opinionated. So anything I did had her sort of opinion stuck to it. So I learned to question every feeling and thought that I had is why I was riddled with, um, you know, poor self-esteem and anxiety for most of my 20s and 30s. It wasn't until I went to therapy that I was like, oh, well, of course, if you grow up in that kind of environment with that kind of messaging – this is what transpires. So again, what I, what I always encourage and, and advocate for people to do is like, understand your narratives, understand your stories, understand where this stuff comes from. Everything that you believe, every attitude you have came from somewhere. It was, it was conditioned into you.
1: And, um, and I'm going to reveal something about myself that anybody that's close to me knows, but not everybody publicly knows. Um, I, I had a rough childhood, so I was, um, I was uh taken to child psychologist mm-hmm. from a very, very young age. And um when I and I got so used to it that when I went to college, I needed it. Yeah. And um yeah. and then when I started working in my career or whatever, I was by myself. My parents were, you know, back home in Puerto Rico, my mom was here, but Know you know relationships yeah. with the mom can be awkward, especially when you're in your twenties and thirties, still right. kind of figuring it out. Now 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 that I'm a mom, it's much better, and I've <laughs> right. apologized to her about a million things. Sure, sure, but um, but I I always I so there was this therapist. I'll say her name because she's retired now. Yeah. Um, uh, Cindy Swain. I mm. saw her for many 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 years. Yeah. And she helped me understand the characters in my life. Mm. And she helped me understand uh, to be more empathetic and yeah. think about how other people are experiencing the things that I'm saying and doing right. and, um, you know, to be respectful of right. that. Um, and she also helped me um, deal with a lot of uh, uh, like for the first time I went no contact on my mom, yeah. I was like, I can't do that. Yeah. Like, and she's yeah. like, yes, you can. <laughs> right. Right. And she like coached me yeah. uh, through how to handle that, which was absolutely Amazing. terrifying. Cause I'm sure you can attest to this, that when, when, you know, parents are so authoritarian mm-hmm. over children. I think that when children grow up, sometimes it's difficult for parents to realize they, that they need to simmer down. Absolutely. And they need to treat the child with a level of respect because they're adults yeah. now, yeah, too. You know? yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that dynamic needs to change. And, I mean, I'm a mother now. I know, I know that that's right. going to be really hard to do. Yeah. But I'm also self-aware that it needs to happen because I think my parents were a little late. <laughs> on the uptake right, right, doing right, it to right, me. Right. Yeah. And I had to really assert myself to set boundaries yeah. so that I could like, you know, live without totally. going crazy.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, part of the work of a lot of clients that come to see me at some point, will get into work around the relationships and sometimes where the relationships are most challenging are with our parents, because that dynamic tends to sort of stay, right? We, we, our parents, want to continue in that role of parent and we sort of expect us ourselves and them to continue in those roles so yeah, I, you know, I'm a 45 year old man, but when I went home for Christmas, my mom still talks to me and like engages me. Right. Like, you know, I'm with, 10, with you not know?
1: respect. Right. And you're like, mom, I'm a doctor. Uh, I'm a doctor. <laughs> Do you <mother>. understand <laughs> that I'm a doctor and a former Marine? Yeah. Right. And, yeah, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, and yeah. all these things like, yeah.
2: no, she, she yeah. doesn't see any of that. No, right? she, but, you're, right, she right. just right.
1: still sees the little boy that she nurtured and exactly. took care of. And, you know, you'll yeah. always be her baby.
2: Yeah. And so, so, you know, to your point, we, we learn to develop these boundaries. We learn to To sort of ask for what we need but but you know even to a bigger point like if that is some of the challenges that we're experiencing with parents then I promise you I guarantee you that's showing up in your intimate relationship in your relationship with colleagues employees and everywhere else
1: and your boss like that any any authoritarian any authority figure Mm -hmm. in your life Absolutely. Um, just staying on the vein of like um, you know fear and anxiety yeah. and whatever, imposter syndrome. Ooh. That's very um, yeah common with business owners. Can you describe yeah. what it is and where it comes from?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, this morning, I was making myself uh, my espresso, which as a Cuban, you know, that's the first thing I do in the morning. Right, go right from bed to my espresso machine. And I was, um, thinking about next week, I'm going to be traveling to work with, um, an organization, uh, which I, I rather not mention right now. Um, and one of the things I, I thought to myself was, um, they, they, they don't really know who's going to give their presentation. Like if they really knew I, they, they wouldn't have me go and speak to them. Like, that's <laughs> not like somewhere somebody has made a big mistake. Okay, and then I realized the imposter syndrome in that, which that's imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's when um, your confidence is checked by this notion that somehow you aren't it, that you aren't doing enough, Mm -hmm. that um, you know that somehow you're going to be figured out, right? Mm -hmm. That um, somehow you are not the way other people are actually perceiving to you.
1: Yep. Right. I have a story, a recent story to share about that. Uh, many years ago, I was um, hired by BISC, who was hired by the University of San Francisco mm-hmm. online to create advanced c- continuing education, higher yeah. education courses on like advanced digital marketing and average and whatever. And I got hired to be an online instructor and to go to the BISC Studios and and create the, the the marketing courses and stand on camera and teach it, and I kept thinking, <laughs> I hope the guy that hired me is not listening. <laughs> I kept thinking that they're stupid <laughs> because I certainly wasn't qualified. And yes. then, um, but I was like, they they gave me a big chunk of cash. I was like, right. I was like, you want me to dance? You want me to yeah. be the monkey dancing? Like I'll do whatever you want. Like this right, is yeah. And then um, we, uh, I, I recently spoke to somebody who um, wants to get into the business, mm-hmm. and she kept telling me to slow down, and she kept taking notes. Yeah. And just uh, throughout the conversation, I realized, wow, sh- this, this girl does not know anything about mm-hmm. marketing. And then it dawned on me, I actually know lot about marketing like a shit ton about marketing and i thought to myself i'm so refreshed that i'm having this conversation with this person because it's reminding me of my value because i forgot that i am valuable yes that my brain is valuable the fact that i've dedicated my career to one thing you know like i I, I, like and and we tend to a lot of times to undersell ourselves Mm -hmm. or to undervalue ourselves or yeah. sometimes I I wonder or feel like oh, maybe I'm scamming my clients because this yeah. is so easy. Yeah. It's easy to me. Sure. <laughs> or sure. I go, oh, this only takes one second. Yeah, it took me 20 years to right. do it in one second. Right.
2: And somehow we can't harness that perspective, right? Um, a, a part of it comes from the storyline that we have about ourselves, and I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. But one of the other things that happens with imposter syndrome is when we do things really well or receive an accolade or, or right, you know, do something really successfully, we attribute it to chance. Like, oh, you know, that was whatever, you know, some outside force or factor that allowed me to do that, right? Like I got lucky, right. you might say. Um, but when you do something negative, that you attribute to that yourself. That you take. Like, you, oh, yeah, that's yeah. because I'm dumb or yeah. because whatever it may be. Yes. yeah. Right? Um, but this idea, so, you know, a couple of years ago, I um, I went to see Tony Robbins. I went to a Tony Robbins uh, seminar, um, Unleash the Power Within, down in Miami. And it was at the, uh, I think it was called the American Airlines Arena at that time. So this is a place that, um, you know, sat some 16,000 people. Okay, that's a lot of people. And um, you know, one of the questions that he asked uh at first was how many people in this room work for themselves or have their own business. And you know, my sort of data was about 60 to 70% of the people raised their hands, which tells you like there's some go-getters here. Like these are some motivated people. These are people doing stuff. But the question he asked after was was really the powerful moment. He asked, um, who here has ever felt or currently feels like they're not enough. And it felt like almost everyone in the room raised their hand. Now, this wasn't an oddity to me at the time because as a psychologist, I had seen a lot of this. What was surprising to me was the inordinate number of people that had raised their hand. So I was like, okay, well, what goes into this, right? Like these can't all be people with poor self-confidence. This can't be, you know, so here's my understanding of it. Um, we live in a society that places a significant amount of emphasis on achievement, right? On on setting goals and and being successful. And so, again, back to that parenting thing, right? Think about the kid that comes home with five A's and a B, and what do the parents tend to focus on? The Why B. Do you have a B, right? Why do you have a B, right? It, we're always putting the focus on what isn't being done enough. Now, for a child, the most important and valuable thing to ever have from a parent is their approval. Their their unconditional approval and unconditional positive regard. So, what a child will do is put their best efforts forward to try and get that Now, if they don't receive that from the parent, and and this is coming from well-intentioned parents, right? We're trying to push our kids to be better, to be driven, to be motivated. What we don't realize we're doing sometimes in the service of that is implementing a message that your achievement or your efforts are not enough, Mm -hmm. right? So every time the child goes out there and gives more and more of their efforts and the parent says, do better, do better do better. The message becomes,
1: you're not enough. You're, you're not, not enough. enough. You're not enough.
2: You're not enough. And then we go into school at the age of five, where we're made to compare ourselves to everybody all of the time for the next, at least 12 years. And then social media and society, we reward, right? The the, the people that are achieving and doing and becoming. And so all of this just deeply, um, wires a message into our brain that somehow my value is tied to what I achieve. And I think it's the reason why the majority of the people in that seminar raised their hands Mm -hmm. because so many of us have lived, and I did for many years, and I still have a hard time breaking away from that message, that my worth as a human being is attached to what I can do and what I can achieve. And so when it comes to imposter syndrome, that's what's getting in the way, is that somewhere there's at least a seed of a belief that somehow we don't have worth and that we will have that worth if we go out there and attain the next dream, the fancy car, the bank account, the whatever it is, start that business, right? Like like whatever it is that we're seeking external validation for. And what I came to realize was here I had become a United States Marine right? And one of the reasons I went into the Marine is because I knew I was, it was the toughest and the hard, you know,
1: Marine, right. Like that's it. Right.
2: (laughs) Um, you know, went to the the toughest fire Academy, right. The toughest paramedic school here. I was halfway through my doctorate degree. And I was like, Oh, I might get to the end of this one too. And it all, it may not fulfill that thing within me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, something is wrong with my mindset here. I need Mm -hmm. to start shifting this. Otherwise I will spend the next 40 or 50 years of my life trying to grab at things to make me feel okay about me. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and you can never, I saw this like little meme on social media of like a little person trying to like plug into other people and other things. You've got to plug it into yourself. yourself. And here's where, sorry, here's where I'm going to do my, my Jesus God thing. Like for me, like when I went through a a few years where I was doing a lot of soul searching, reading a lot of books, um, know receiving mentorship from uh, somebody that I respected and admired and doing a lot of soul searching and I ended up in church Mm -hmm. bawling my eyes Mm -hmm. out just Mm -hmm. bawling yeah and it dawned on me that love gets poured on into you from God and it is unconditional love it is unlimited love it is the most perfect love that you know it's it's once you, um, once you recognize yourself as a Worthy. child, a child yeah. of God, yeah. or at least for me, this is what worked for me. Yeah. Okay. So maybe the word God makes you cringe. Sure. I've met people that can't even hear yeah. the word God and they're like, oh, yeah. Ah. yeah, whatever. So, yeah. but for me, this concept just really clicked totally that, um, you know, um, my love comes from God, yeah. and then now, if my love and and i and I recognize myself as a child mm-hmm. of God, I'm the daughter of the Creator. Mm-hmm. You know, the the whatever. Um, then I don't need anybody else's approval, right. but His. Right. I don't need any else anybody else's love, yeah. but His. Yeah. And I know that when when I die. Yeah. I go back to him so he's totally. at the end of the line so it for me it yeah. just made a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know I'll I'll paint that from a, a different place. Um you know I I grew up in a catholic home. Um, you know, with all this sort of traditional, right, go to church on Easter and, and, and Christmas and get baptized and, you know, the, the communion and all of that. But there was God missing in all that, right? There was the love of God missing mm-hmm. in all that. And so, um, you know, that led me into this road of like agnosticism and atheism mm-hmm. and, and sort of seeking and searching, yes. right, um, to where a, a couple of years ago I ended up uh, on, a, on a trip. Uh, to Costa Rica on an actual trip, um, doing ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who's, uh, may not be familiar with that, it's a plant medicine that has been used indigenously for tens of thousands of years, um, for spiritual connection and for deeper understanding of the self and things like that. And that was sort of where I experienced my own spiritual awakening. Right. And so, um, Along the lines of what you're talking about, I was able to connect with this part within me, whether we want to call it universe, we want to call it God, we want to call it consciousness, we want to call it life, whatever it is, this power, this energy, this source that is so much bigger than we are, right? Our primitive, tiny little human brains that haven't been around long enough to experience what has created everything around us. And when I realized that I am a part of all of that, that I am so much bigger than the stories of my childhood, that I am so much bigger than the stories of even my humanity, I started to realize the true meaning of love, the true meaning of, right, like that, that, that source. And so from that place, you're right. Who the hell do I have to prove anything to? Not even myself, mm-hmm. because I am already a part of all of this. I am accepted. I am loved. I I am I am a part of it all, mm-hmm. and from that place, it really shifts your mindset, and and it, it it pulls you so far out of your little story about who you are mm-hmm. that you can't
1: help but start living from a different place. Right, right. And um and speaking of that little story of who you are and getting pulled out, um, whenever I start to, um, my mind gets. Uh, distracted with thoughts of, you know, um, oh, this is bothering me, or this is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, I went to a summit, you went to go see Tony Robbins. I went yeah. to go see Grant Cardone okay. um, over in Vegas yeah. a few years ago. And his his wife, uh Elena. Elena, Elena, Elena Cardone. Yeah. She spoke and she said, um, if you are preoccupied about petty stuff or worried about blah, 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 your dreams aren't big enough. Like Mm. you're, you know, when you are in Mm. active pursuit of whatever your purpose or your passion is, or, you know, the dreams that you want to accomplish, you don't even have bandwidth for that. (laughs) And, and, and so, um, I, another go, my, my go-to grab of like, you know, self-help for, for me is whenever I find myself like, uh, uh, ruminating over anything i i always go all right i'm i need to refocus on my goal because totally. if i was truly focused on my goals and my dreams and whatever it is that i want to do for my own fulfillment i wouldn't even have bandwidth for this i'm just yeah. gonna like check it to the yeah. side love that and um just another like thing that i really want to share because i want to represent yeah. motherhood yeah you just had a baby yeah um i don't know how i mean i'm I'm sure you and your wife, have, you know, she shares with you everything, whatever. Yeah. But motherhood is very intense. Oh. It right. is. It is. A, I see it. It is a whole new level. Like I, I waited a long time to have my mm-hmm. daughter. I was 35 when I mm-hmm. got married, 36 when I had mm-hmm. her, and so that means that I lived an entire "quote unquote" lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, of, you know, having a childless life, having all this time on my hands. <laughs> right. And I remember feeling stressed back then yeah. and feeling overwhelmed back then. And then now the, the overwhelm it, 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 under, under the responsibilities mm-hmm. and duties of motherhood, which we just do lovingly and graciously. Yeah. Um, it's just so hardcore and it's such a shit show. Um, and the other day my mom, my daughter's like, mom, are you taking me to school in your PJs? And I'm like, <laughs> I guess I am. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And I walk out, I'm like, what, yeah. what, what has become of me? And yeah. I'm like, I, I, I just don't care anymore. I'm just, I'm just doing what I need to do and I don't care what people think. Right. And I just don't, you know, I'm just doing the things and I'm showing up yeah. and I'm, I'm fine. I mean, like, I don't care. Like you so you just start to release yeah. these, these uh, burdens of care, I think, as you get older. And I totally. think that's part of the beauty of, of uh, aging and maturing.
2: Absolutely. And I, I can tie that in to leadership. Because one of the things that happened for me with my own sort of experience was I realized that when I part ways with making it about me, when I get out of the I, me, mind, When I get out of my ego and put my heart in the places I want to serve, it's about others. And that's part of what happens with motherhood and fatherhood. We realize we get out of our heads because there's something much bigger that requires our energy and efforts and love. And I think some of the best leaders in business realize that, that it's not about you. It's about a bigger thing. It's about the people. It's about the service you're providing. It's about changing the world. And one of the biggest shifts that has brought so much inner peace, so much calm, and so much grace to my life is when I realized it's not about me. My content isn't about me. Being on this podcast isn't about me. It's always about other people. How can I serve? How can I serve? So much of my anxiety went away when I realized it isn't about me. And as leaders and owners of companies, if we can have that mindset about what's the difference that we can make in the world, it will just shift things in such a powerful and beautiful way. And, you know, the way I run my practice now feels so seamless, I I get out of my head about all of the tiny little things and, you know, just let the universe guide me as long as I'm doing work that's from the heart and guided from love.
1: That's beautiful. Yeah. I can't think of a better way to end this. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope that you've enjoyed this little session here with Dr. Carlos Garcia of Tampa.
2: Tampa Counseling and Wellness.
1: Do you um just real quick? Sure. Do you do like telehealth, or is it just in person?
2: Yeah, so we um we do telehealth all across um, the the uh, Florida, but um, I actually just um, got there's a, a this kind of uh, organization out there called SciPact, which now allows me to practice telehealth in 40 other states. Um, so we have nice. a much further reach, and whether that's therapy or coaching, I do both. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we have a big reach now.
1: Very good. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Garcia. It's I, an honor I'm to be here. So grateful. Thank you. Make sure you hit subscribe so you can be notified of new episodes where we discuss business, marketing, and peek under the hood of successful companies to understand the leadership behind the organization and best practices for today's challenges. I'm your host, Nicole Alisea founder and president of Brand Envy, an integrated global marketing communications firm based in sunny Tampa Bay. Learn more at createbrandenvy.com.
0: Thanks for listening to Create Brand Envy. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. Brand Envy is an integrated marketing and advertising agency that helps brands innovate while maintaining their focus and identity. To learn more or to get in touch with Nicole, visit createbrandnv.com. That's createbrand and the letters nv.com. We'll see you next time.